everyone. Welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio. And today, Tom, is December 12th, 2022, when we're recording this. Yeah. Which is a very special 25th anniversary of the release of one of the most important sequels in modern film history, Scream 2. Is it? 25 years ago today, yeah. Scream 2. 25 years ago today, I was sitting in the movie it, the movie, in the movie theater uh-huh. watching Scream 2. Why around Christmas? Uh, well, Scream 1 was released on in, around Christmas as was well. Was it really? Yes, yeah, Christmas why? Uh, 96. I think, I don't know why. Hmm. Harvey Weinstein and uh, the other Weinstein, Bob Weinstein, Bob Weinstein decided yeah. to uh, just dump it there. Or they thought it could make a lot of money. Who knows? English Patient was sitting around in 96. So like, I guess we're going to release Scream as well. Yeah, maybe it was just kind of like an alternative. Yeah, and then they rushed out Scream 2. Scream 2 notably is like one of the first like scripts to leak on the internet that they so badly that they had to change like the entire ending of that movie. Because oh. originally, uh, Holly, Holly? The, the, the best friend and Jerry O'Connell's character were the killers. Oh. Like they're in a secret relationship, kind of like how Scream 5 ends up mm-hmm. being. So they had to change it to Timothy Oliphant and Laurie Metcalf, which I think it's for the better, because that was... Well, I believe that those two people would kill people. Yeah. If they were to, like... Yeah, Jerry O'Connell up. has, like, the main villain. I would have been like, nah, I'll buy it. Yeah, yeah. No way, Kangaroo Jack. Yeah. No thanks. You're just going to slide into another dimension. <laughs> um... Well, it's been, yeah. it's been a while since we've been <laughs> trying to get this going. I think we said uh, we're going to release the uh, Sight and Sound, which we'll get to at the end of the episode, uh, follow-up. Um, we tried. A few days after. And we tried. We uh, fucking tried. Three times, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Ill- illness is is running rampant in yeah. my family. and uh, Same for me. It's just, it's just like, I don't know. It's running rampant everywhere. I haven't been sick, actually. I don't know why. You were sick yesterday. Well, I had a headache. I don't call that sick. It's sick enough. Well, that's just like a light sensitivity sort of headache. That's not great, Mario. <laughs> that's not a great thing to have. Uh-huh. It happens. Okay. Um, but we're not drinking anything right now. Mario's drinking a beer. What are you drinking? I'm drinking oh, I'm coffee. Drinking, I'm drinking New Park beer, Stereogram, double IPA. It's, it's grassy. It's mm. fine. Do you have another one downstairs? I do have another one. Oh, I like a grassy. Yeah. But I'm drinking a Dunkin' Donuts coffee. It's uh, hot. That's so what it says. Oh, was, that's uh, cream in it? It actually does have cream because they didn't have any almond well, milk. All right, because you do the almond milk. Yeah. So I say I was, it tastes, almond milk, like I said, tastes metallic to me. It, in, this in tastes coffee. really weird because I have not had cream in coffee in like a long time. I'm going to sound like a pretentious jerk. And um, I'm trying not to curse in the beginning of the episode again. Uh, pretentious jerk. And uh, I can't drink a Dunkin' Donuts coffee at all. It tastes like I believe That's me. fine. and Because I'm a hipster. But you're. But I kind of wish I could also do that. But I need to. I need to destroy this coffee. No, that's fine. So, and that's my my feeling about Dunkin' Donuts is that like it like does coffee, drink though. like water. I'm not one of those people who's like a who's like a was it pour overs or cold brews or whatever. Mm. Drip coffee to me is still the best type of coffee. Mm. I agree. Yeah. Ah, French press is pretty good too. I like the French press, but it takes forever. It takes forever, and you only get a cup of coffee. I think it's pro- that's probably the best form of coffee. Well, we've got like a Stanley. But like the pour overs are so stupid. It takes too long. It's just like, I want to give me like 15 cups of coffee at once. Yeah, I don't know. I but don't know, Mario. In this long span of time, we've seen a good amount of movies, even though like last time we talked about not wanting to see a lot of movies. But yeah. There's movies that came out that we wanted to see. And I think this is, I was thinking about this on the way over here. I was like, this is kind of like the least, um, uh, 
coherent collection of of films that we've ever of new movies that we've ever I mean, talked about. Two of them star Tilda Swinton, a feature Tilda Swinton. That's true. Yeah, that's true. She was maybe in the background of see she said. She's in in the other ones. She was in the like Max dual, movie. Dual roles. Um, the first one, let's do real quick. Um, I actually finally got a chance to see Black Panther. Uh, I'm gonna put the trailer in here. We'll just kind of like. Do yeah, because I already talked Panther. about my opinion of it. My opinion is not like so much different than your opinion, except that like I enjoyed it. Although I do think that, and I don't think it's like, I don't think that Shuri's character works as like a lead. At all. And By I don't character, think, do you mean like Letitia Wright? No, because like, I think Letitia Wright, I think, is... is Letitia Wright? Is yeah. Okay. I don't think she's necessarily bad, but her character so lacks depth that she's... All, all she was in the first movie, and this is not like a criticism of anybody, all she was in the first movie was some comic relief. Yeah. And you can't take the comic relief character, give it only grief as its, its central character trait, and then, exp- and then like... like quintuple the size of her of her role um so that was that was kind of a bummer not a bummer but there seemed to be like a hole in the middle of the movie that like wasn't filled could you see all that the all way that? yeah you could, you could sometimes just like sauntering in like with charisma and stuff well i'm just saying was it too dark that you could see the whole movie? well there's it wasn't even like <laughs> the darkness it was it was um it was like the because it wasn't just dark when it was dark it was murky and i've Subsequently, and you may have read some of the same stuff too about like some of that darkness. Like, no, I just when I saw it, I some of those that action scene on the the ship, the yeah, whatever with the called. sirens, yeah, and yeah. then later on on the bridge, like you can't see a lot of that shit. Well, and I think uh, I've heard that the um stuff that siren scene was supposed to be a totally different scene, and there's supposed to be a totally different. There's supposed to be another villain at the in the end, like a big a big bad somewhere that like Lake Bell's character was supposed to be reporting to a DD sort of character. Yeah. And then they cut that character, it cut him out. And so then they went back and they refilmed a bunch of that stuff. So Neymar, Neymar just throws the helicopter into the ocean. Thus removing Lake Bell from the MCU instantaneously. (laughs) She's like, Hey, um, so I think that like some of that stuff, I don't even, you know, I very much doubt that there was even a person there to put in the sky or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just looks really dark because they're just um, CGIing everything. Um, but I enjoyed it. I think Neymar was a good character. Um, I think he's played really well by Tenacuerta. I think, um, you know, some of the inside Wakandan, some of the inside Wakanda stuff that's happening, I really like the idea, or like the, the international relations stuff I like. I like that scene where, um, you know, they're in front of the UN and the uh, America and France or France and yeah, France and America are trying to be like, oh, we should. You guys have weapons, blah blah blah. And then they march these guys in here and be like, oh yeah, you know, you guys are trying to to steal from us, like motherfuckers. Like that was that shit was cool. Oh, what's not know. what's not cool is Mario is the whole um, uh, Martin Freeman, Julie Louis Dreyfus. Uh, weirdo subplot that's just jammed into the middle of this, which we will talk about Thor Love and Thunder um, at closer to the end of the year again. Um, Marvel is running, and then and this does the Ironheart thing too, Marvel is running into this thing where um, all of their... Black Panther didn't have this problem. Black Panther served its own master, 
the master that Black Panther served was satisfying Killmonger's last line of the of the movie, which is still the best line in, mm. in Marvel movies. Um, this movie is satisfying um, a streaming platform, which I find gross and disgusting and um, unfortunate and sad. And you can kind of feel it in the movie, like Ryan Coogler gets like sad, like in the middle of these movies, where it's just like, oh, I gotta do yeah. fucking this. Because you strip away the Ironheart shit and all the streaming <clears throat> shit, and you just make it a movie with Neymar and dealing with grief. It's a significantly better movie that just looks bad at times. Yeah. Um, but it at least has a, a thematic uh, pathos to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, then the Ironheart stuff is just like, Wah! well, and then, and you you probably notice this too, like. I don't even know if they settled on Riri Williams as the scientist because Namor the whole time is like, we need the scientist. That's why we must have the scientist. We are going to save the scientist. Like, it's just like, we haven't figured out who the scientist is yet. (laughs) It may be some, it may be, it's a MacGuffin, but is it a MacGuffin that ties to a Disney Plus show or is it just a different MacGuffin? Is it maybe Reed? It's probably not. Is it maybe like a different kind of X-Men scientist? Probably not. But like it's the scientist. And it's like, well, come on, man. Like, we're not fucking idiots. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping the bottom falls out on the Marvel thing soon. To serve not to like destroy Marvel, as it were, but just to serve to pull back on. Like what happened with Star Wars. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, we need to focus on because I didn't see Andor, but for all the things I've heard about Andor's, it's pretty great. Mm-hmm. And that just feels like them going like, oh, let's pull back and do uh, controlled programming that is quality. Yeah. I'm hoping something similar happens soon to Marvel. I mean, I don't know if it's... May- I think it may have already happened a little bit with like the end of Phase 4 here. And like um, nobody caring about She-Hulk. and I mean, and She-Hulk was a fucking travesty. Um, but, I mean, I feel like, like looking at end of year lists, I feel like I'm like the only person that feels that way um but no i think it's just like some of the reviews of dr strange and black panther and then what happened with the eternals um that they've said they're not gonna go so hard on like filling up the the content stream um i'm hoping that ant-man and the wasp quantumania is good everything jonathan majors is in is usually good on some level so it'll probably be good I'm hoping that the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy 3 came out. Looks pretty Guardians of the interesting, Galaxy. you know what I mean? Um, well made, I guess. It's really interesting looking at like watching a bunch of Disney Plus shows and then like watching movie trailers. And you're just like, oh, yeah. Or the, like the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special was, Christmas special was funny. It was I very, it. it was light, very light, but it was like a, very amusing. But it also looks like garbage where like the movies actually kind of look some of them look good. James Gunn hasn't made a movie yet. Really quickly, because we didn't mention this. Did you end up seeing Werewolf by Night? Not yet, no. Oh, okay. I really enjoyed Werewolf and by that's, Night. And there's a lot of people that are but saying that, so that should be where it, they go. insular and yes. by itself, and they just kind of let Michael, I can never say his last name, Michael G, do his kind of like just whatever he wanted to do with it mm-hmm. uh, because it was a one-off, and yeah. it actually feels like it has a soul to it, like a soul and a voice to it, mm-hmm. which was which was fun. Yeah. Um, it's violent as hell too. I know because it's black and white. Because it's it's gory as hell for for what it is. I'll get around to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, but again, it wasn't. I don't. I tend to not watch these things like for 
quality. I just want it to be like entertained, and like yeah. I just hope that we, like I, we said, like popcorn. And I did. I got a big, big, huge thing of popcorn, which was which was great. And um, but I, there are just there's like scenes that are just gross now in the MCU, um, where they're clearly like sucking on like a teat. Yeah, had, had you cut the Everett Ross and Julie and oh Everett Julie Ross, Ross, yeah, that stuff from it, and Ironheart cut her down and like made this a two hour, fifteen minute, two hour, twenty minute long movie. I think it's I think it's not anywhere near Black Panther, but it's still probably the best of the Marvel movies of the year. It's just... Yeah. There's that big hulking thumb that's sticking out in the middle that really hurts it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still, like, the second best Phase 4 movie after Spider-Man, maybe. Like, it's this, Spider-Man, and then, I guess, this, and then, like... Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, and I then think like I Eternals. Still, I still and, think I prefer Multiverse of Madness to this because it's a little tighter, has yeah. a little more of a unique vision to it. Yeah, um, because this doesn't seem to have even like a Ryan Coogler like touch at all. It just is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Let's go from one disappointing, disappointing but entertaining to another kind of movie, Mario. Which is who directed this movie again? Uh, this was directed by Maria Schrader. Who right. Didn't do much that I know of, to be honest. Um, but that movie is uh, She Said. People have tried to write this story before. He kills it every time. Harvey adamantly denies any allegation of assault. He played people. He was a master manipulator. Will you give me just one chance to talk to you? Are you sure that this isn't just young women who want to sleep with a movie producer to try to get ahead? This is bigger than Weinstein. This is about the system protecting abusers. The women who receive these settlements, they can't speak out. They'll be sued if they do. But if someone could speak freely about the payouts... What payouts, John? You have to imagine that every call you make is being recorded and you're being followed. Can you imagine how many Harveys there are out there? You want to get me killed. Do you wish you hadn't signed up for this story? Do you? No. The only way these women are going to go on the record is if they all jump together. We're all here, Harvey. Who have you talked to? I have three daughters, and I don't want them to ever accept abuse or bullying. I'll go on the record. Go write. It's time to write. This is all going to come out. I was silenced. I want my voice back. Um, this is a movie about um, the investigation of Harvey Weinstein by the New York Times in 2017. Yeah, by Jody Cantor. And Megan yeah, Toohey. Yeah. Um, they are played respectively by Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan. Uh, the movie also has... Um, Andre Brower in it. It has um, oh, fuck, that's has some good like Jennifer as Jennifer Eel in it. Uh, yep. Patricia Clarkson plays Patricia boss. Clarkson. Yeah, yeah. Um, Who I always like get, to see in it. You get a really excellent one scene from Samantha Morton. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Ashley Judd doing some like heroic, like personal stuff in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. I to tie it to. To tie it to another movie we're going to talk about, but in a totally different way. 
The next movie we're talking about, or no, the, the one, last one, the last one, Pinocchio. Oh yeah, Pinocchio. I'm not sure why we're <laughs> why we're hiding it. People know from the Pinocchio. Title. <laughs> what? Um, I'm not sure why they made this. I, I, I both movies when they started, I was like, why did they make this movie? Like, who's this for, and what is it for? Um, Pinocchio, I think, answered the question like by the like after the first like 40 minutes or so. Um, I thought it. I thought it answered the question. This. I don't think this movie ever did. Um, for me, and I think the, and I'll point to like one specific thing and then I'll let you go, um, is they keep having these conversations about like how they want to get these people on the record. You know what I mean? Cause it's, mm. a, it's taking place in real time. They're trying to get the scoop. It's very spotlight-esque and like, want to make sure we get the full story. It'd be great if we had some people to go on the record because then we can corroborate and then we could, it leads power and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, they're saying these people's names like the whole time. You know what I mean? And it felt really weird that they're like, we need Gwyneth to go on the record. It's like, but you just said Gwyneth. Like, you're making a movie. You know what I mean? Like, but you're making a movie about something that just happened that, like, everybody knows about. So we know that she would eventually go on the record because you would have had to to allow both her own voice and her name to be said in the movie. And it's it's like... It was one of those kind of like weird disconnects where I was just like, yeah, I get it. Like, I watched all this unfold and good. Like, fuck that guy and fuck all these guys. Like, even the ones that like are getting off like with technicalities and like Kevin Spacey or whatever. Like, I hope Kevin Spacey never works again because he's clearly a predator. Um, even if he doesn't go to jail for it. Our Danny Masterson. Yeah, just fuck still protected I mean, oh by my God. Church of Scientology. Um, Ronaldo, but that's before. But it was just like, it, it was... Was that before? It worked as a book because we got the inside scoop of what that looked like. And did, it you worked, read, did you read the I book? I did not. I read some of the book because it was new. When, I was working at the library when it came out. And, I was, um, and it's really interesting because it kind of brings you into the thing. I felt I was never... It's, this is still a movie. So I was never able to buy like that thing that I just described or that scene where... Zoe Kazan, when um, Jody Cantor is talking to um, the accountant, what's that? Who plays the accountant in that movie? I don't have like. It on my oh, phone. is that Zach Green? Is that not Zach Green here? Is it? Oh, maybe it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is it? Oh, fuck! What the fuck's that guy's name? I guess it doesn't matter. The one that plays Irwin, like they meet at dinners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Zach Rainer. Okay, yeah. Which is always sad for me really quickly because I've seen that guy growing up from like Problem Child Two, and like as I see him become an old man, I'm like, oh no. But he's still good. No, he's great. Power. When she leaves and there's just like a black Chevy behind her, and I was like, and he's like, oh, they'll kill me. I was like, he's going to kill you? Like, was Harvey Weinstein in the business of getting people killed? Like, was that, did that happen? Like, I don't understand. Like, who's, like, oh, they're on to us. It's like, and? He makes movies. Like, he's not so fucking FBI. He's just Damon a fucking Shaven's, guy. Damon Shaven's fat fucking face properly. Yeah, I'm, I, so it's, and I understand that in the in the moment that must felt that must have felt very stressful, and I think it's indicative of kind of like the scare tactics and the threats that like he would use to, um, you know, control women, control the message, and control the um, you know, uh, the fallback of 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 like his behavior, but I just didn't think it worked as a movie. You know what I mean? It didn't. It didn't feel. 
compelling. It didn't feel any more, it felt significantly less compelling than the actual narrative of the story, which is widely known and available. Yeah, I, I would agree most, for the most part, in the sense that it's we're still too close to the story. We're five years away from it. And the fallout from it lasted until basically 2020 when he was finally, like, you know, convicted. So it's been mostly front and center for a while, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so it is it is odd that, you know, they made this film that's, that's kind of very paint-by-numbers, very procedural in its telling. Um, and there's, from, from a story perspective, there's a lot of kind of, like, drop threads. Like, there's an early discussion kind of of, like, Megan Toey's, like, postpartum depression. Which I love. Which, which I like, but I thought they are going to go deeper into that, and then just kind of, like, she gets over it. Yeah. We can, uh, uh, like... And, her uh, yeah, we, I can go back. What, what, go I'll, what I'll say though is, yeah, yeah. is, I ended up actually really enjoying this, like in spite of its kind of Sunday night, like I said to you, ABC yeah. movie of the week visuals, uh, cinematography. It was weird that, like I said, the the cinematographer for Neon Demon also did something that looked as kind of the opposite flat of Neon Demon as this, um, and and a script that kind of like loses its place and and drops a lot of threads. Uh, despite all that, I think like basically every performance in this is incredibly strong and kind of lifts that material. Mm-hmm. So they're doing a lot of the heavy work. So I found it compelling in this from the sense that everyone here is fully committing. And comparing it to another bad kind of movie in the same vein, The Post, oh, like yeah. where Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep can't don't do a goddamn thing with those that work. Um, they don't have to. They're Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mulligan, it's Kazan, and then, you know, you get those, those small roles from Jennifer Eel and Samantha Morton and um, Ashley Judd. Um, those lift this material. So from, in terms of, like, your big four kind of news films mm-hmm. of, of the recent past, I would still put this as the second best. Like, it's nowhere on the level of McCarthy Spotlight, obviously, that being, like, dependent. No, but it aspires but to it. But it's much, much better than fucking Bombshell. Um, oh, yeah. And... You know, it's 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 better than the post. So I, I found it. I do find it to be made too soon. This movie needs to have come out in five years' time. Yeah. It needs a little more time for the world to have separated from it, but also maybe more time to actually like get a script that is a little more exciting and interesting and compelling. Because there's a compelling story there yeah, yeah, yeah. that can be told cinematically. This isn't told cinematically. Well, I think, they- but they did get. Really good performances. <laughs> they like did. People are trying to lift it, and they. I think to that point, I think they would have been better served making a movie that was less paint by numbers procedural and more focused on like um, the characters who were pursuing this case. Yeah, I think it's. I think Be- it's the most interesting when we're dealing with, uh, you know, Cantor and Tui's uh, um life like how it's affecting them well because they're both really great actresses and so there's they they both are bringing characterizations to this that i don't think are necessarily in the script so there's so carrie mulligan who i think is really great in this she has the postpartum thing in the beginning of the movie and then the whole rest of the movie she seems like she carries herself differently like she's happy to be out of the house when it seems like it's going better with her daughter, she seems to gain a little strength, like in the scenes after that. Um, she seems like because she did the postpartum thing, she seems to be like a little more 
because we don't have like a lot of backstory with like the stuff she was covering. They were both kind of doing like, you know, Trump stuff and, you know, yeah, investigatory that awful things. fucking beginning. Yeah. Um, I don't understand the framing mechanism of trying to say, you know, like, oh, this guy got away with it and was powerful, but like, read don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Trump in person. Um, but so we don't know anything else about her, but it seems like, it seems like after the postpartum depression was like going through the war and she's come out of it and she seems to be a little more uh, world aware than Zoe Kazan's character who plays the Jodie Cantor part like she can't believe the stuff that she's hearing. She doesn't, she wants to be really present because she wants to understand it. She also keeps imagining a world she keeps kind of going back into this world where stuff like this doesn't happen. Like she has that great scene with that, with the accountant, um, Zach Renner, um, the first time. And he like, they, he, he, she talks about like that. They're the same because they're both, they're both Jews and they both went to, she imagines that they both went to the same place. And, you know, she talks about like her grandmother's, her, uh, her grandmother's arms, um, and like this, this vacation that she went on, um, really like, excitedly and happily and he's like oh yeah we couldn't afford to do any of that stuff blah blah but it doesn't matter but she keeps kind of like diving into that and then people keep breaking her which i find really i think she played that really interestingly but then the script did that had that stupid walk and talk thing where they were down the street and they're just like i hope this works out for us do you regret taking the story no do you no, it's like, why are you yeah. having this fucking conversation? No, That's exactly. not and necessary. Could you get that? That um, I mean, I really appreciate that one scene just because the performances where she's talking to Rowena's husband. Yes, and yes, that, and that's the one that kind of like car- that is the like carries a lot of the weight of that empathy she's trying to have while realizing, you know, that she doesn't want to do the actual damage of what's happened. She's so fucking good, yeah. but then the script kind of keeps like going. No, this go back. Go back to like what you need to say. Yeah, yeah like that, someone like, keeps running in and being like, "It's gonna be a tough one for us." And it's like, "Yeah, yeah, this is. Oh, I can't, I can't believe this is happening." It's like, "Yeah, no one can. That's why this sucks." But you don't have to say it. Like we don't have to say this stuff. Trust us. And that's. I, I think it's weird that they, they didn't trust the audience to kind of understand something that is so close to all of our awareness. Well, it's not surprising that. Uh... Oh wow! I'd actually, she was um, one of like the lead writers uh, on. How was she? Never mind. She was one of the heavy writers, uh, Rebecca Linowitz on Small Axe. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Love Small Axe. But she also wrote co-wrote Colette, which is a little more mm. unshocking. Yeah, this is. It just it felt. It felt like it needed some more Passovers and time and. Time would have been great. Yeah. And to, and to pass over to kind of think about like what this, what is the story that you want to tell? Because I think the story, like you said at the beginning when we were talking about the introduction of this thing, the story is still being told in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like he's going, isn't he back on trial in LA in like the beginning of the year? I, I like for I another know. thing? I think, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure he is. And if he's not, he just was. And like they're still trying a lot of these cases for these men. Like, you know, we're still having Donald Trump conversations every day. So like these things aren't day master just had the mistrial. These are these are things that are part of our like daily existence. Um, so we don't. I don't think we necessarily need um, this movie yet, or a movie a movie about like that's just about the events and how the events are covered and how to put them in context. Because I think we 
we have the context. So it would have been an interesting take to see it, like see the events from a different, a different perspective. Um, um, so let's talk about, I don't know where we want to go next. Let's do, let's do the Netflix one. All right. Let's do the Why one. Why do you keep making it like it's Pinocchio? You already just said it's Pinocchio. They Fucking it's Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Let's do Pinocchio. Everyone shall love you and call your name Pinocchio. Pinocchio! I have something I'd like to give you. It is a school book which belonged to a very special boy. The boy you lost? Papa! Enough of this nonsense. Hey, where are you going? You tell him I love him. And I won't be a burden anymore. Hello? The wooden boy with the borrowed soul. While you may have eternal life, your loved ones, they do not. You never know how long you have with someone until they're gone. The boy loves you for who you are. Guide him to be good. Stop that! Don't hurt him anymore! You may have no strings, but I control you. Please bring him back to me. Life is such a wonderful gift. Well, <laughs> oh, I'm doing like like. Do you want me to talk? It's Pinocchio. Um, Japan, unlike uh, usually being set in the late 19th century, where you've moved to Italy during World War One, and you know later during the late 20s, early 30s, I believe, mm-hmm. as Buddha. Benito Mussolini has risen to power. Geppetto lose, has a son who he loses during an accidental bombing um, of a church. Uh, mourning the loss of a son, he creates Pinocchio. And then the Pinocchio stuff happens. I'm not going to go over the story of that again. Pinocchio. Um, of course, some of the changes, though, being that uh, when he goes into like the carnival service, eventually he performs for Benito Mussolini. I like uh, puppets. SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> I do like that Tom Kenny played uh, Mussolini. He played a short, fat Mussolini, which is interesting because Mussolini was not short, fat. He Wasn't was, he? No, he was like a regular size. I like whatever. puppets. I don't like these puppets. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot him. Um, and uh, the Pleasure Island sequence um, instead becoming a fascist sort of training ground for. Um, kids for child soldiers yeah uh this movie also kind of changes that story of wanting to find a child into the acceptance of mortality and death uh changes that pinocchio is immortal will always stay a wooden doll um and has eternal life he can die but then is brought to the afterlife that's the wait there for a while which increases over a period of time each time he dies and then is brought back um, so the film ends with uh, Pinocchio kind of wandering the earth, 
as a nightmare creature um, after the death of Geppetto, Jimmy Cricket, uh, Sebastian, Sebastian Cricket. Cricket, sorry, and um, the uh, Kate Blanchett monkeys. <laughs> this is what a year for her. What a great year. Kate Blanchett loves doing that shit, though. Like, she did that, like, stuff with um, Hot Fuzz, where she had, like, the really quick cameo as the forensics yeah. person. And now awesome. she just does monkey sounds, except for one musical number. Which I assume that was her, like, doing all the... I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have to assume. Well, I think she did the voice of all the puppets. Too. Yeah, that's why I meant, like, yeah, the, yeah. the puppets and whatnot. Which I love the puppets. Uh, did I guess right? What? This is the movie you, you're not, like, a super fan of? That is correct. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, visually, I, I find this film to be amazing. It's 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 a de- definitively a work of art. There's a reason why I guess the MoMA is going to have that special on it through uh, February because visually, it's it's stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the longest stop motion animated film ever. Mm. I realized, uh, and I realized, I, I read uh, the music numbers really work for me. I didn't think they would. So some of the songs are, are really well placed. Uh, I find the opening of it with Carlo till his death being extreme, extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I end up wondering what's the point. Um, I end up kind of watching it going, I understand the themes. I understand the, the, the story of, you know, the innocence facing fascism of facing mortality However, Del Toro presents it a little too... The themes in it are too mature, from, in my opinion, um, and, and too kind of ominously presented mm-hmm. in a way to where I, I'm not necessarily sure if, like, one, younger kids would really get it as well... Not, as, not get it as well, but if they're... The maturity level that I feel this movie calls for there would be better, there's almost better now more adult examples of films that cover the topic. And it's a, it's a well done film, but it's a film that I ultimately watched. It was like, this is another telling of Pinocchio with a slightly different veneer. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up kind of like walking away from it going like beautiful, great score, good performances, good musical numbers, but okay. Um, I, yeah, it's going to be another one of those reviews where I'm like, I kind of agree with you while still like disagreeing a little bit. Like, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, and the kids like it, they did. Um, my son specifically, um, he liked it a lot. Um, but like I said in the beginning, when we were talking about the she said thing, I was left at the beginning of this movie. Just kind of be like, why? Why is this? And then every time something happened, I'd be like, I guess that's cool. Like crucifying Pinocchio's, fucking cool. Not sure why we're crucifying Pinocchio. Like, you yeah, know what I mean? I did find a dark humor when Pinocchio imitates the crucified Christ. On oh, the it's first fucking to his church. That's the thing. So this stuff is great, and but I think we're we're running into this a little bit with Del Toro, where since Pan, Pan's Labyrinth has felt like the last Del Toro movie that had to get made that like Kronos devil's backbone, even Hellboy two are all movies that like feel alive with imagination. Blade two. Blade two is early, but yeah, but it's probably, it's part of that whole thing where there's like ideas. There's 
I, we're running into a thing where there's no more ideas. There's there's visuals. It's just visuals, and it's just they're fucking loaded. I think so. It's really interesting. I've watched Nightmare Alley a couple of times since we had like our conversation about it. I really appreciate Nightmare Alley. It reminds me a lot of Tar, in the sense that there's just it's just like fucking bursting with like literary conceits and motifs and metaphors and illusions, but there's no heart to any of it. Yeah, which I which I'm still fine with almost because I'm I don't, kind of fine with it too. But I just it is it is. And its essence a noir, and that's okay. it's okay to have a noir without a heart. But it seems at least. it seems like he's. But I think the best noirs do have some kind of passion running through them, not just um, the passion that comes with executing and I executing a visual idea like on screen that you like originally just put on paper as a storyboard or, or designed a miniature for or whatever. Um, and I feel like that's a little bit where this Benicio del, Benicio del Toro, Guillermo del Toro project <laughs> is, where he's now just kind of like, he's interested in stuff, and so he's doing it, and he's a genius, so it's always good, but it never feels more than it's like parts. expertly made like artifact. I, I or, agree. Or, or in that, which is not to say that like I, I wasn't moved at various points of this movie. I was. But I also was just kind of left, like, I want, I, I kept trying to throw my, like, internal soul on, like, the like this thing's coat hooks, almost, and, like, to leave it there, and I they couldn't find yeah, any. Yeah, and I, and I think, and I, and I think that the thing that's a bummer for me, and that set my expectations so high, is that opening, I think, does have that heart. Like, when he's with Carlo, like, you see, I don't know, you see, you see like, a, a really well-done relationship, and it's very on the nose with, like, He's a great father and everything. But the, the shot of Carlo as he's about to die, staring up at the cross. And that's like, then there's the flash of light. I was like, oh shit, this movie's going to go hard. Mm-hmm. You know? And then it just doesn't well, after that. Well, that's, but that's the thing. I think in a way it does go hard because Pinocchio keeps dying. So we have to have these very serious conversations about death. Guess what Guillermo del Toro really hates, guys? He hates fascism. He's not a big fan of fascism. So, of course, we have more fascists in the movie because every single one of his movies has to have some version of fascists in it, which is fine. Um, so it's like, you know, I mean, it is dark. It does go to, uh, again, and then Pinocchio gets crucified and like all this other stuff. It's, it's, it's a darkness that doesn't have stakes. And it has no substance to the darkness. Yeah. Like, I think the I think that opening sequence does. Because right. like, it's asking a lot because he's a very... You know, uh, Geppetto's a very pious man, and it, it it plays with that, and I really wanted it to go further into that, mm-hmm. into, like, the relationship of Geppetto's relationship with God. Because, like, it yes. feels like it's going to be a movie about, like, you killed my son. Why haven't you listened to my prayers? Yep. And wood sprites are the ones that end up playing. The I mean, I guess the manifestation of basically Gabriel. It was cool to get, like, the closest iteration of like real biblical angels almost because mm-hmm. like the eyes on the wings and everything are very close to yeah that. which are um, awesome which are pure del toro yeah but the issue being it just it then pulls away from that and turns to fascism which is the easy bullet to take on you know it i, I mean i didn't want it to be like like anti-theatic or uh, 
but I wanted to. But you kind I of, wanted to raise that question of that of yeah. that struggle, and then, you know, when Pinocchio is created possibly by God or or whatever sort of thing, then that raises those other questions. Mm-hmm. The questions of death can then come play a bigger role in that, and I, I think because it, it sets that up, but the the fact that it's the war feels less important. Mm. Um. And so when it ends up just being a kind of very easy anti-fascism movie leading into a very easy sort of like contemplation on death where death doesn't really itself have stakes at all because there's very clearly a defined afterlife. Um, well, hanging out with the rabbits is, could be worse. Yeah, well, cricket, right. you know, Sebastian seems to be having fun. Well, I want to talk about Sebastian in a second. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's my, my problem with this is, is it feels like it could have a real intensity and it does early on and then it just kind of lets that go. Especially because it got pitched to us as like a much darker vision of Pinocchio. And, I, and I guess it is, but it's I also mean, maybe not the 1990s uh, Pinocchio's revenge, but <laughs> yeah, but I wanted it to be, um, I wanted it to be darker. And so like, you're, you know, a kind of a, an anti-theist movie would have definitely been darker. And it's, I, mean, I, I, mean, I don't think you would get that from Del Toro. Cause I don't think Del Toro's, no, but the I love Catholic, but not a yeah. But I love the idea of early Pinocchio, where he's just like, "I'm going to do what I want," and I was like, "That's cool." Like, how far could he take this? And it's like not far. Rips Candlewick's face off. <laughs> yeah, that, he just lies until his nose pops through his head. Um, <laughs> I I think we need to. The last thing I want to talk about is oh, Alien Resurrection. That's where we're at. I was like, something like that happens where like they grab somebody. And something pops yeah. through somebody's body. Um, That's Alien Resurrection. You and McGregor, Mario. He's just not good, right? Oh, I like him. Did you like him yeah, in this? I, like oh, I thought he was yeah. terrible. I didn't think he was terrible. I think he's like a little too. You and McGregor. You and McGregor, but like I don't know, man. I think you and McGregor is like one of those dudes who like I'm just cool with like being you and McGregor. I I I, I, guess. I, I am I. I would agree he's not really doing much. Like, everyone else is doing work in this. And Ewan McGregor just being Ewan McGregor. But, you know, like, a lot of people give somebody like Dwayne Johnson a pass for their charisma or whatnot. I mean, even though I they're don't. terrible. No, they, I, I don't either. Ewan McGregor has, like, a charisma to him that, like, I buy into. And yeah. so he doesn't distract from stuff. Like, like, in this movie, at least, his role is slight enough and in the background enough and kind of removed enough that, like, he's not distracting from like a really fucking good like David Bradley. Like David Bradley Oh, he's great. Yeah, yeah. the shit out of this. He's not just in a really good like Ron Perlman performance. He's and um with Gregory Mann who they I guess they had like CGI his voice by the way. What does that mean? Uh he so he sounded older and I guess they had to do I don't know if CGI, not CGI obviously, but they had to do computer alterations to his voice to make him sound oh. young throughout it. I thought he was really good. Which made me wonder like why I have to do the same thing with Sigourney Weaver. For Avatar, but uh, yeah. I, yeah, I don't think he's he's not stepping over. He's not stepping on it, and, and that's why it didn't bug me. Well, I don't think he's do. I don't think he's really good, but I just he didn't annoy me. I guess every single time in the last like four or five years we've run into you and McGregor, I'm just like, ugh. like when I when I see that he's in something, I'm just like, ugh, this is I don't. I, there's got to be like somebody him, else. You like Fargo season three. I did not watch Fargo TV no, show. I like, I like Fargo. But like I did, I thought he was awful in Doctor Sleep. Um, yeah, Doctor. Yeah, that Dr. show Sleep's he won, in, that Halston show he won an Emmy for. 
Oh, um, it was. I didn't watch like all of it, but Speaking I was like, oh, he's just he's not good in this. To, to, a quick aside. Yeah. Flanagan doing Dark Tower for Amazon. I mean, they've got the money. Are you not happy about that? I'll be, it'll be fine. I mean, the first one, the first Dark Tower is so bad, it doesn't have to even be, you can kind of forget about it. Yeah. And, it's like it never happened. And Gerald's game is good enough to where maybe Mike Flanagan. Oh, I think he'll be, do. I think he'll do good. And I think he had the right ideas with Dr. Sleep. He just did it. It was a, it was a weird King anomaly as a book. Yeah. Um, something he hasn't even done since. And I think he just kind of wanted to like undo it. And it has a very, I like, I'm, I was uncomfortable with some of the scenes in it. And, um, you know, it has Ewan McGregor in it, which is, as I've said, is not like great for Yeah, Rebecca great Ferguson for is the only one in that movie that I really, Rebecca Ferguson? Yeah. It's the only one in that movie I really, really like. She's great, except for the fact that like in a Stephen King book, when your main character wears a black top hat, you're like, okay, fine. And then in the movie, when she's wearing a black top hat, you're like, no, but take that top hat off. I will say this though. I will say for as much as like I was disappointed by this film, and I, I think it's one of those things that, like has a... I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's a well-made movie. It's just maybe my expectations for it were a little too high. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, like, all the perform like, outside of McGregor, which I agree is just kind of fine. Like, all the performances in this are, the voice performances are exceptional. They are exceptional. I think the only, I think Christoph Waltz, I'm, I have, a, like, a little oh, trouble like getting Christoph. a bead on him sometimes. I like Christoph Waltz a lot in this. But. Yeah, I don't, I didn't mind him. There was just, it seemed, um, I don't know, I couldn't, I couldn't read it. Um, I couldn't get a sense of, of like the accent or Good. like where he was. I, I don't know. It yeah. just, it seemed a it little, just sound like, his, like little it disjointed. Sound, it sounded like he was trying to be a yeah. more English sounding. Um, but also Italian. Yeah. Like but it just sounded two things simultaneously. German. Yeah. yeah exactly. But Hey, more, another good year for Bern Gorman. Bern Gorman. I know. I like Bern Gorman. I, I know. Lot. I'm always rooting for Bern Gorman. Yeah. Um, but I, it's I, uh, I really liked it. I don't know. I'm not sure it's going to show up. Did on... you see Watcher? No. Yeah. He was good in that though. He's he's like one. He's a big part of Watcher. He's on your list. I think. No. Um. But I think you. I think eventually, if you have a, if you are in the mood for a make a Monroe horror movie, you should, you should give Watcher a look. It's yeah. ninety minutes and it has a lot of good ideas. Um. um but yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It just it, um, it felt. Did not attach myself to it the way that I kind of was expecting. I think I think that's to. the same thing with me. Yeah. I think I, I came in with a lot of high expectations. Um, visually, those expectations were met. Oh, it's incredible! I would expect it from. I mean, I'm gonna say this: like one of the directors of the PJs, which is like, it's not something I enjoyed, but mm-hmm. like from an animation standpoint, the PJs is insanely good. Mm-hmm. What's the PJs? It was a like a 2006. Um, I can't remember who it was. Um, stop motion. TV show. Mm-hmm. It was kind of very dumb, mm-hmm. but like the animation style was great. Oh, okay. Um, so visually, it's great. Uh, the Splot does a really good job, but the score here, I'm usually not like big on him. Um, but yeah, all the parts are right. It just emotionally fell flat for me in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break yeah. so I can get a beer, and then we'll come back and talk about Joanna Hogg's latest something. We're, before we do this, though, I'm not considering this a souvenir sequel. 
well, we it's talk, the same we thing, talk but like, that. I just can't do it. Yeah, we could talk about it and see how it like, fits in there. Uh, it's the Eternal Daughter. The longer we're here, the more it comes back. The dread. What kind of dread? I just want you to be happy. I'm trying all the time. This place prompted memories. That's what rooms do. They hold these stories. Some of them are uncomfortable. We're here now. And that was then. I'm not sure I feel I have a right to do such a thing. It feels like trespassing. Happy birthday, Mum. To us. Eternal Daughter is uh, possibly it, it is a sequel, the 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 finale to the Souvenir trilogy. Uh, we never reviewed Souvenir Part Two. Mm-hmm. Both of us were, I think, similarly disappointed in it. Souvenir, the original Souvenir, is, is, was one of my favorite films of the year. Uh-huh. Souvenir also topped BFI's list both years. I didn't realize that. Souvenir and Souvenir Part 2. The fucking British. <laughs> They're just like really, really shit together. Um, but a, the Eternal Daughter um, now features Tilda Swinton taking over for Honor Swinton Byrne as Julie. Um, she's playing the dual role with also uh, Rosalind, who was played by Tilda Swinton in Souvenir and Souvenir Part 2. Mm-hmm. And it's about them going to a hotel, which is a former home of Rosalind, um, unlike Souvenir and Souvenir Part Two, which take place in the early 1980s. This film takes place contemporaneously. Uh, they go to this hotel for Rosalind's birthday, um, and it's, it's eerie. They uh, are told by the fairly rude, weird receptionist um, that the hotel is fully booked, and yet they seem to be the only people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hear strange noises of the window opening and shutting. Um, meanwhile, Julie <clears throat> is now a semi-successful filmmaker, uh, as we see Rosalind talking about. Um, and she has been planning to make now a film about her mother and is kind of trying to figure out how to do that and how to bring that up um, during the course of this birthday week. Mm-hmm. Um, during that week of discussion, she realizes the kind of sad memories that this home retains for Rosalind. Uh, Rosalind has recently lost her husband a few years prior. Um, and Julie had never married. I guess she was still upset about Anthony all these years later. She, she banged the kid from Stranger Things, but that just didn't help out, I guess. Yeah, it's tough. Um, but that was supposed to be Robert Pattinson. Um, was it really? That was Robert Pattinson's role. Hmm. It's Charlie Hunnam's role. Uh, Charlie Hunnam or whatever. Whatever his name is. The kid from Stranger Things. Um, she's never, I guess, found a partner, so she has put all of her love and all of her affection and all of her care into her parents, now her mother. Well, she is married. In the, is in, she? Yeah, she says that she's 
married, but she doesn't spend any. She neglects her husband because she's spending all her time with her, taking care of her mother. Oh, I've completely missed that. And that's who she's calling like every night. Oh God, I totally missed that. Yeah, but they don't have any kids. Yeah, they have no children. I know that. I just took that because when she says when she has that kind of breakdown in the end, mm-hmm. how did I miss that? I was paying attention to this movie. <laughs> I think it's just I, I, I was. I think one of the reasons I was interested in having you do it, like the rundown, is because I think I felt the same way that like, I I, guess, I missed. I might have missed yeah. some like just parts, like because the conversations that they have never seem like important conversations unless say like someone's crying in them. It just seems like they're kind of having like it's very whispered too, and I didn't put this on the subtitles. I had oh, no. a, oh you didn't no yeah if you put it on subtitles you get to see that like Roz's Rosalind's character says yeah at the beginning of like every sentence which is really interesting and I <laughs> thought that was like a from from Matilda Swinton performance standpoint I was like I love how she built both of these characters mm-hmm. um, I found that fascinating but continue um, eventually uh, re learn that Julie's kind of placed all this energy into her mother and taking care of her mother and upon the birthday celebration her mother. You know, they, they had dinner once again alone. Um, Rosalind says she's not hungry. Kind of the meals have played this kind of centrifuge sort of role in terms of their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And Julie's planned this big celeb- you know, personal intimate celebration with her with the cake and all that, which is misdone by the receptionist. Um, and soon, <laughs> fucking uncomfortable, heartbreaking singing of happy birthday... Um, to her mother, we, we find out that her mother had died sometime mm-hmm. previously. She's mm-hmm. bas- Julie's basically being haunted in this kind of like gothic tale by the memories of her mother and kind of the, I guess, misgivings of not having felt like she truly knew her mother. As Unless she never made her happy. Never made her happy. Yeah. The regrets and um, that like this, this story that she's creating is a way to kind of encapsulate this memory of her mother, even though she feels as though she's not getting it right. Mm -hmm. Because she keeps saying, like, it's not right, this isn't right. Right. Um, In the end, however, we kind of get a sense that there's some sort of closure. Uh, The the fog that's kind of permeated throughout the movie lifts. We get finally birds chirping, and we see the sun, and she kind of leaves, having started to write her story. So we get a sense of, of a hopeful of a hopeful ending yeah. here in the end. Um, as I said, uh, the souvenir, the original souvenir, is, is a movie as I, I've, I've gotten away from. I, I like it a little less. Um, I still like it quite a bit. I think Tom Burke's Anthony's still like, great. one of the best performances of the past five years or mm-hmm. so, supporting performances. Uh, male supporting performances. <laughs> I'm, keep just adding, I'm adding those qualifiers. Do you like the new thing? The performances, like the just lead performance and supporting performance. Uh, no, because I still think men and women roles in terms of a film and in terms of a character are, are different mm-hmm. enough. Like the roles in which they play and the roles men and women inhabit are often still different in a story, mm-hmm. um, and the expectations and the creations of those characters are still different. So I still prefer best actor and best actress, and I just like having more awards. Yeah, me too. Like I could, if I had have more, if the Oscars had like thirty categories, I'd like I'd love that. Um, as I got away for the souvenir, and, and maybe it's kind of diluted by the souvenir part two, which I don't feel is necessary. I don't feel that film needed to really exist because it's mm-hmm. 
it's a part of it's, it's a second part of the story of like dealing with the aftermath of Anthony's death and whatnot, which and, and you know Julie's kind of dealing with that. It's kind of a similar sort of thing that's done here. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't feel necessary. Uh, conversely, with this, um, I really love this film. I think it's carried heavily by just this masterful dual performance by Tilda Swinton. Mm-hmm. I think she she creates and crafts like you like you mentioned like with the Yaz two very different characters but when it kind of coalesces in the end to being just one person um as we see the actual memory of Rosalind our deathbed she's much different than the Rosalind we've been seeing um two very different characters but in the end just basically one person's self and one person's memory mm-hmm. of the other character um I thought was entirely enticing. Tilda Swinton's easily one of those actresses who can I can just watch for like two hours, just yeah, being by herself, just because she's so fucking good at it. Uh, and and for a movie that's so slight, so quiet, as we said, the dialogue is often to, hard to hear. Um, it it remains captivating because Joanna Hogg is, is 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 a director who. As a vision, but lets her actors definitely control the tone, and, and feels like the control the tone and the pace and the um, beats mm-hmm. of her scripts. Which and her scripts are tight, and her scripts and, and you know that that kind of twist kind of thing. Obviously, I don't want to say the twist, but like that that turn of Rosalind being dead is not something I expected. Oh, um, and it's and it has a really good that really good shot of kind of the receptionist standing there sitting. I'm like, that's an odd reaction. Um, you know, I, I think Joanna Hogg's like like a very concise director, a very concise writer, um, and allows her performers to to then carry the weight of it. And I think Tilda Swinton is the person to do that, and that's mm-hmm. why, like, for such a small, such a quiet film, watching Tilda Swinton go through this cascade and waves of emotion for an hour and a half was just incredibly enthralling yeah and i um i agree on um some level i think this movie is um mostly watchable just because tilda swinton is in it and doing stuff let's remake gn delman with tilda swinton that's a big good i mean that would be good but i bet she, i bet she does the same type of stuff oh for sure. um because i think that i think that movie kind of inhabits We'll talk, we'll talk about that. Again. I told no, but I think Tilda yeah. Swinton kind of inhabits uh, um, a kind of um, interior um, human aesthetic that like Jean Dioman like aspires to as well. Um, so yeah, the fact that she's the fact that like some of the camera work is kind of flat because it's just going back and forth between one person. So it's like it's like you're seeing some shots that you wouldn't normally see if there was two people there. You know what I mean? The way it's just kind of the way the the close-ups are framed. Um, some of the beats are a little slow because they're kind of they're not having a conversation. There's no coverage on any of these things. I don't know if you noticed that. Like they didn't bother to. Ha- it didn't seem like they bothered to have a stand-in ever. So you're not seeing the back of somebody else's head mm-hmm. while they're doing it. It's just like one person, Julie Rosalind, Julie Rosalind. It's really it's it's kind of um, a little disorienting because it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to function like a movie does. Um, and some of that could be like the limitations placed on it by like how, um, 
it was made or when it was made and um, all that other stuff. Um, it was but, made during uh, the lockdown. Right. Uh, all in all, though, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it while being able to kind of, um, like, I just moved on from it very quickly. Some of, like, the, uh, I thought some of the stuff, some of the haunting scenes, there's a couple of, like, true haunting scenes. I thought they were pretty effective, although ultimately I wasn't sure, like, what they were for. Like, I'm not sure what's, she's, like, literally spent, like, we see her spending all day with her mother, so the idea that she would go outside and then see like a ghost in the window when her mother like is is like there with her like is is haunting her like in her day-to-day things like there was like a little bit of like a disconnect it seemed like she just kind of wanted to make this movie function like this and then did it like the creaking and stuff like that like some of it seems like very nascent old house creaking you know moving around like we never get a sense you know of what any of that stuff is or should be. She doesn't go into like any other rooms to see what it is. She just stares at them. Um, I think I would have liked a little more depth to some of, of that, not an explanation, but like maybe investigation. Um, like her mother has all these letters that she carries around in this, in this bag, um, which I guess that she is carrying around in the bag, unless she's like remembering stuff. Um, I would love to know like, how those letters informed her thinking of like who her mother was and what this project is. I would love to know more about the project. Um, is the project articulated in the kind of trilogy? Um, and if that's the case, I don't see like a, I don't see a, a connection between like that nonsense she spouts to those people when she's trying to get that, that scholarship. Remember when she's like sitting in that like round table and she's talking about, you know, um, her experiences with, um, is it Alex? Tom Anthony. Burks? Anthony. Um, is this in Superman part This is Superman part one. Oh, okay. Um, to like, to whatever this is. Um, I'm not, so there's, it just felt very loose to me. And I, I, I kept hoping that it would tighten up, not have, I didn't want closure. I, I just wanted like the feeling of it to like tighten. And yeah. the, and the, and like the introduction of the Bill character was like, oh, there's a guy moving around. I'm going to go back there, and he's just like a nice guy that actually exists and is not like a ghost of anything. Yeah, and I, I took, I guess I, I, I forgave a lot of that because I took a lot of those aspects of the haunt thing and um, of the sounds to be just kind of the nasience that an individual suffering from grief, but also the anxiety. Of, of loss and feeling as though they didn't fulfill a promise would, would experience mm-hmm. um, that she would hone in on the sounds to answer for lost sleep that, you know, she would um, see the sight of her mother while being with her mother because that surrounds her. Like that's how, how I ended up taking it at, at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, cause I, I just forgive a lot of Gothic horror stuff. Like not, it's, this isn't a horror, but Gothic stuff because I grew up on a lot because my mother was a big gothic fan is mm-hmm. a big gothic fan um I guess she was she got out of it she became very anti-gothic stuff um although she did she did really like uh the uh curiosity of cabinet the uh, cabinet of curiosities um I forgot the name of it but the 
Jennifer Kent. Oh yeah. Video one. Uh, the, Everybody the, likes the, it. The, Murmurings. Murmurings, yeah. I want to call it the sparrow wings. <laughs> but so, so that's how I took it. And that's, that's kind of like, I, I would agree with you, but I, I just kind of took that as like, because gothic literature and goth, you know, the gothic aspect, aesthetic in its sense, in itself, oftentimes deals with like those things being the something that an individual carries in themselves. And mm-hmm. by the film's end, you know, when you kind of find that current of, um, you know, her loss and her, her kind of guilt over it. I was like, okay, that, that kind of makes sense to me. Right. And I guess my, my, um, questions would be then are like more process oriented. So did she go to this hotel and kind of reenact an experience? So like she's singing happy birthday to nobody. Right. I mean, and so that's why the waitress is kind of just watching her waitress slash receptionist. It's just like watching her do it. One of two employees at this hotel who's cooking the food. Maybe Bill, I guess. Well, I assume I almost assume there's there's people at this hotel because we see the guests there later. Like, well, in the in the so I assume like yeah. they are there. She just doesn't see them. Well, I just assume, yeah, because right? that's what it's my like. assumption was that there's a, a myopia to this this ex- experience where she's yeah. just like singularly focused, and that like that's the conversation that she has with her the receptionist after the first night. Like, can you check all the windows? Can and she's like, well, all the windows. It's like, do you want me to check all the windows? She's like, if you could, yeah. Um, you know, and I, I kind of assume there's people at in the either she's going at odd hours, or there are people at the dining hall in the dining room, and she just doesn't. Well, because the kitchen's them. always about to close. Yeah. Um. So yeah, maybe she's not paying attention. So it's that kind of like, you know, surgical focus. I'm just here to do what I'm here to do. But like, which is which is you know carries over from souvenir because like, sure Julie has. When played by Honor Swinton, um, Byrne has that kind of like focus. Well, that's, but that's, and I think that's one of the things that I brushed up against as we've talked, not about when we watched the movie, but like after more, when I thought about it, is the, um, the, I, I don't know, the tone deaf, deaf selfishness of Julie's character to kind of not recognize like what the nature of her, of her experience really was. That like she, that like Anthony ruined her life. When like totally disregarding his experience like at all, mm. you know what I mean? And that, yeah, that and that's, stuff and that's, really bugged the fucking shit out of me for a long time. And it carries over here. I think it, it does it maybe like a little agree. bit. Like it's they they like I said off air. It does not as much feel like a follow up for me. Not only because it's like sad that like this character he followed it ends up being pretty alone and all that in the end. But also because, like, the characterizations of Julie, at least. Rosalind feels consistent. But Julie does feel significantly like a departure from herself in the Super I agree with you. So because I don't get the impression that... And it's obviously 40 years later, but... But I don't get the impression that Joanna Hogg thought at any point that Julie was capable of, of these types of feelings in the first two movies. Um, because I don't get the impression that Julie was thinking about anybody but herself throughout the first two movies. So the, so the idea that she would all of a sudden have this kind of, um, uh, like epiphany about, you know, her life and then to blame her mother for the fact that her life stinks seems really like, seems really weird to me, but I also don't think she would grow from it but i also i guess to that point and to the point that i made before 
I don't get the impression that she necessarily did grow from it. Mm. So like, cause I'm, I, because I don't understand what she's doing there. Um, I mean, I know she's there to write a story about her mother, but like, why is she singing happy birthday to herself? If it's not to kind of like, and talking about like how it doesn't feel right. If it's, if she's not there to try to make something that didn't feel right, feel right again. I'm not sure. So I'm not sure how I felt about it. And so that's, I, I was left with more, I was compelled watching Tilda Swinton navigate this film and this character in these circumstances, but I was left feeling a little, um, like it's not even like a loose end. Like it's just like a frayed end of rope that like you can't tie back together. Um, and that she kind of like, she kind of like, burned it back together and just like made it, made it go back. She couldn't tie it. So she just kind of like, was like, Oh, I think I came to a conclusion. The fog lifted and now I'm good. You know what I mean? And that, and I, I just kind of couldn't get on board with that. But again, I knew that this was a a part of a trilogy and I did not respond to the first two. And I didn't think that Julie's character was compelling enough to kind of warrant like a kind of 30 years later. Hello. Like I'm sad that my mom died. Yeah. Um, but that's just, that's just, yeah, no, no, I take it. That's, that's why I kind of take this in, um, separation and, in exclude souvenir from it and just take this as a movie where, you know, another, not semi autobiographical, but at least Joanna Hogg can relate to a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, she's a filmmaker right um and so taking this excluding like cutting out the souvenir and just the same character same name loosely same experiences if i take it in isolation it, it works a lot better for me i think it, it is weakened if this is if this is souvenir part three mm. but has a standalone sort of experience it Works extremely well. Well, I don't even think it needs to be, but uh, it doesn't need to be. But like, just it raises additional questions. Oh my, absolutely. That's why. But I'm not 100 percent sure why. I mean, I know why she did it because she wanted to, and she's the artist, and that's just how she felt about it. But I also think that the the story in and of itself, um, a daughter trying to reconcile with the loss of a mother, um, is is compelling enough without attaching it to like two other two other movies. Yeah, absolutely. but yeah, overall. So overall, you I think I it was a positive experience. I just it's it's one a little like Pinocchio, but one because I didn't respond to it aesthetically like I did Pinocchio, um, and Pinocchio didn't has like a clearer message and clearer themes. Um, I just I, I felt um, closer to it. I mean, this we could really do. We could make like a like a some kind of graph. But like Tom is here and like here are the movies that we talked about today that like, and this is how close he feels to them. Um, and I guess you could say that's a comment on their quality, but I don't even really want to think of it like that. They're all like doing something yeah, and, I, and, and, they're, I, and they're all like achieving a kind of mastery of the thing that they're doing. I'm just like further away from. Yeah. It's well, this is a weird fucking year. Cause some of the movies I feel close to, I they shouldn't be movies I feel close to, but I like keep coming back to them and well, just really one movie that I keep coming back to and watching. And although I'm just like watching it cause I have a lot of fun with it. The more I watch it, the more weirdly close mm. I feel to it. Don't tell me. You can probably guess. 
It's not Halloween ends, by the way. Just just tell you that. <laughs> why you, you why probably, would I guess could, Halloween ends? I don't know, because I like Halloween ends a lot. Did you like it a lot? It's it was it's in my top fifteen. Which is both a testament to the year and a testament to how fucking weird I like just this just David Gordon Green being like, fuck you, Halloween fans. You know what it is. Is it still? Like your number one from earlier? Oh well, that's a movie I could I would feel I would feel close to, uh-huh. and I understand why I feel close to it. Oh. This movie is not something that demands you to be close to it hmm. because it's about an alien. Hmm. If you could get that from that, what I said, it's prey. Oh, it's, still, it's prey. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> you're getting prey. If I would, doesn't matter. I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense to me. Cause you like it, but, I watched good, it but it's recently. well, it's super well made. I watched it and I got, I watched it again the other day. Don't even say it. Kind of what? You got teary eyed. I got teary eyed. You at the did? End. Yeah. Like at the very end? No, like like when she does the final line when she says it like that. I was like, I don't know why I'm teary eyed about this. Uh, she's. I mean, I think it's just like I think it's just like it's 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 nice. It's like a really well done. Yeah. Woman led action movie, and that's what I like about it. And like it's so. Still rare. Because we're going to talk about something either. I think we could probably talk about it in this episode because we're only like an hour into it. I think By that. Way, I, think, I think this is. We've got another hour and like 15 to 20. Which is very appropriate very for us. Excited for. I think that stuff is um, fucking important. And I think all the goddamn fucking like anti woke conservative like media pieces of shit. That's that, not like, me being like, well, it's, just, it's like, no, but that's cool. What, it's, it's but that's new. what I'm it's saying. So exactly. Exactly. Like, like that's that why I responded. They're to it. trying like, to deny the universe, the opportunity to see something and experience something and feel something fucking new. Well, that's, that's, and like, that's, and, but that's where the, that's where the joy. So that movie probably inspires in you something that like a lot of other movies don't, which is like, or haven't recently, which is joy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is so weird that you felt joy in a movie because most of the time we're just like, it's good. The themes are, you know, expounded yeah, I, I upon know. well. I can't, blah, I can't blah, speak because, like, I'm not a woman or whatnot, but that's something I could see, like, going, like, I don't know, I don't want to say, like, representation sort of thing, but it's just like, it feels like what aliens probably did, right? Like, our alien did in the sense of, like, being super strong, powerful woman character who, like, isn't shown to be, like, amazingly strong or whatnot but uses like guile and speed mm-hmm. to win the day and I don't know I just just like that movie quite a bit I like it too not my number one I'll say that but to transition you know you know who likes uh, you know who likes movies has regained to the science sound list is S.S. Rajamuli right because R.R.R. yeah well I just uh, <laughs> I remember talking I was pulling up because I was trying to find the science sound list because we were transitioning the science sound I got right here the pics of his ten movies. I don't know if you saw like oh, you talking, while you were talking. I kind of had, like I yeah, had yeah, a yeah. smile on my face. I was listening, but I still like like watch this. Go like, okay, this is this is good. This, this is probably my favorite. I was also seeing like Ty West's list. Ty West had like just some normal movies on there, like yeah. whatever. But SS Roger movie had probably my has my favorite list ever. Um, so he has Maya Bazaar, which I'm not familiar with. Uh, he has Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Okay. Uh, he has Ben Hur. Mm. Okay, now we get now we now we. <laughs> Forrest Gump. Uh, Braveheart. Okay. okay. Uh, the Lion King. <laughs> Django Unchained. Oh. 
You know, I said Braveheart. Yeah. Well, he also has Apocalypto. I was just going to say. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, you know, I said Lion King. Yeah. He also has Aladdin. Oh my God. You know, I said the Lion King and Aladdin. Lilo and Stitch. Well, no. <laughs> he has Kung Fu Panda. What? <laughs> That guy rules. <laughs> I mean, it's, like, it's, like, it's like reading it's going like, Whoa. But Mario, if you put all those movies together, you do get RRR. Yeah, I guess you do. That's Which I don't like. I don't like it either. It's just, it's it's insane. It's too it's much. Cool. It's cool Like that people are noticing. It, it's not Bollywood. It's not Bollywood. I don't think so. Right? It's, it's a different, I don't. I, Maybe it is. I, I don't know. I don't think it is Bollywood. I think it's, um. It's a different mm-hmm. genre of Indian film, which I'm just so illiterate about that I wouldn't speak I am about. Doing- but no, I think it's, I think that's cool. Like, it does seem like he hasn't watched the movie from, like, he has only watched one movie before 1980. But, and that movie has been her, which fits. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I was like, uh, okay. I, my, the RRR experience for me is that, <laughs> the, like. The I, top comment on Reddit is, wow. I have to be moved. I still have to be emotionally moved. I can't just be like, you know, what a cinema. It's the Top Gun thing. You know what I mean? Like Top Gun, hate to break it to everybody. Here's a spoiler alert for my list. Top Gun, Maverick, Returns, whatever. Top Gun, Maverick will not be on my top 10 list because I think it's a stupid movie with excellent special effects when they're in planes. And then when they're not in planes, I just want someone to put a nail through my head. But What's the Blank Check podcast? It's a podcast where they talk about people who um, movies, got right? blank checks to make whatever they wanted. And so for a while they were doing just like disasters and then they were doing, and then they've transitioned into doing like, um, like whole like um, catalogs by like directors and stuff. Oh, okay. I need to listen to more podcasts. I don't love the, I know like, People, I'm sure, have their opinion on, on us. I don't love those two guys. Um, the hosts, I don't think, are... are they're not my favorite. Um, but they sometimes have good guests. there's three people. Well, there's there's usually, like, another... Oh, Griffin and David are the main ones. Yeah, there's, like, a third guy. So, like, the Alex Ross Perry episodes, I think, are really good. Because Alex Ross Perry wins every discussion about anything. Um, and I like Can listening to him talk about it. I actually think we probably could. Um, but Mario, it's time. Let's take a break. Let's get another let's beer. Let's get the beer, and then we'll dig into sight and sound. Sight and sound. Twenty twenty two. Finally, after weeks, we researched. What if we don't have? We any- did research. What if we have no takes. 